0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of The World of Percy Jackson. Now, today we are going to read chapters 9 and 10. And in the previous chapters, what had happened was uh, Percy had fought off a minotaur, which was not an easy feat that was considered by, that, you know, everyone thought it was a really hard thing to do. So, yeah. And they also, when he arrived in the camp, they played Capture the Flag, and seemingly during that game, they found out that Percy was claimed by a trident. And if you guys don't know what a, what being claimed by a trident means, it means he's been claimed by one of the big three. And if, if you don't remember what the big three were, they were Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon. And they all swore that they would not have any children, but Here, Poseidon had Percy, so it's kind of like, you know, against the rules, but yeah. So, today we're going to read chapters 9 and 10. So, on with the show. Chapter 9. I'm Offered a Quest. The next morning, Sharon moved me to cabin 3. I didn't have to share with anybody. I had plenty of room for all my stuff. The Minotaur's horn, one set of spare clothes, and a toiletry bag. I got to sit at my own dinner table, pick all my own activities, call lights out when I felt like it, not listen to anybody else. And I was absolutely miserable. Just when I'd started to feel accepted, to feel I had a home in cabin 11 and I might be a normal kid, or as normal as you can be when you're a half-blood, I've been separated out as if I had some rare disease. Nobody mentioned the hellhound, but I got the feeling they were all talking about it behind my back. The attack had scared everybody. It sent two messages, one, that I was the son of of the sea god, and two, monsters would stop at nothing to kill me. They could even invade a camp that had always been considered safe. The other campers steered clear of me as much as possible. Cabin 11 was too nervous to have sword class with me after what I'd done to the Ares folks in the woods, so my lessons with Luke became one-on-one. He pushed me harder than ever, and wasn't afraid to bruise me up in the process. You're gonna need all the training you can get, he promised, as we were working with swords and flaming torches. Now let's try that viper beheading strike again. Fifty more repetitions. Annabet still taught me Greek in the, morning, in the mornings, but she seemed distracted. Every time I said something, she scowled at me, as if I'd just poked her between the eyes. After lessons, lesson, she would walk away, muttering to herself. Quest? Poseidon? Dirty? Rotten? Got to make a plan. Even Clarice kept her distance, though her venomous looks made it clear she wanted to kill me for breaking her magic spear. I wish she would just yell yell or punch me or something. I'd rather get into fights every day than be ignored. I knew somebody at camp resented me, because one night I came into my cabin and found a mortal newspaper dropped inside the doorway. A copy of the New York Daily News, open to the Metro page. The article took me almost an hour's read because the angrier I got, the more the words floated around on the page. Boy and Mother Still Missing After a Freak Car Incident by Eileen Smith. Sally Jackson and son Percy are still missing one week after their mysterious disappearance. The family's badly burned 78 camera was discovered last Saturday on a North Long Island road with the roof ripped off and the front axle broken. The car had flipped and skidded for several hundred feet before exploding. Mother and son had gone for a weekend vacation to Montauk, but left hastily. Under mysterious circumstances, small traces of blood were found in the car and near the scene of the wreck, but there were no other signs of the missing Jacksons. Residents in the rural area report seeing nothing unusual around the time of the accident. Mrs. J- Ms. Jackson's husband, Gabe Ogliano, gla- claims that his stepson, Percy Jackson, is a troubled kid child who has been kicked out of numerous boarding schools and has expressed violent tendencies in the past. Police would not, would not say whether son Percy is a suspect in his mother's disappearance, but they have not ruled out foul play below are recent pictures of sally jackson and percy police urge anyone with information to call the following toll-free crime stoppers hotline the phone number was circled in black marker i wadded up the paper and threw it away then flopped down in my bunk bed in the middle of my empty cabin lights out i told myself miserably that night i had my worst dream yet i was running along the beach in a storm this time there was a city behind me not new york the sprawl was different. Buildings spread farther apart, palm trees and low hills in the distance. About a hundred yards down the surf, two men were fighting. They looked like TV wrestlers, muscular, with beads, beards, and long hair. Both wore flowing Greek tunics, one trimmed in blue, the other in green. They grappled with each other, wrestled, kicked, and headbutted, And every time they connected, lightning flashed. The sky grew darker and the wind rose. I had to stop them, I didn't know why, but the harder I ran, the more the wind blew me back until I was running in the in place, my heels digging uselessly into in the sand. Over the roar of the storm, I could hear the blue-robed one yelling at the green-robed one, give it back, give it back, like a kindergartner fighting over a toy. The waves got bigger, crashing into the beach, spraying me with salt. I yelled, ''Stop it! Stop fighting!'' The ground shook. Laughter came from somewhere under the earth, and a voice so deep and evil, it turned my blood to ice. ''Come down, little hero!'' The voice crooned. ''Come down!'' The sand split beneath me, opening a crevice straight down to the center of the earth. My feet slipped, and darkness swallowed me. I woke up, sure I was falling. I was still in bed in cabin three. My body told me it was morning, but it was dark outside and thunder rolled across the hills. A storm was brewing. I hadn't dreamed that. I heard a clopping sound at the door. A hoof knocked on the threshold. Come in. Grover Grover trotted inside, looking worried. Mr. D wants to see you. Why? He wants to kill. I mean, I better let him tell you. Nervously, I got dressed and followed, sure I was in huge trouble. trouble. For days I had been exp- half expecting a summons to the big house. Now that I, decla- I was declared a son of Poseidon, one of the big three gods who weren't supposed to have kids, I figured it was a crime for me just to be alive. The other gods had probably been debating the best way to punish me for existing, and now Mr. D was ready to deliver their verdict. Over Long Island Sound, the sky looked like ink soup coming to a boil. A hazy curtain of rain was coming in our direction. I asked Grover if we needed an umbrella. No, he said. It never rains here unless we want it to. I pointed at the storm. What the heck is that then? He glanced uneasily at the sky. It'll pass around us. Bad weather always does. I realized he was right. In the week I'd been here, it had never, it had never even been overcast. The few rain clouds I'd seen had skirted right over around the edges of the valley. But this storm? This one was huge. At the volleyball pit, the kids from Apollo's cabin were playing a morning game against the satires. Dionysus' twins were walking around in the strawberry fields making the plants grow. Everybody was going about their normal business, but they looked tense. They kept their eyes on the storm. Grover and I walked up to the front porch of the big house. Dionysus sat at the pinnacle table in his tiger-striped Hawaiian shirt with his diet coke, just as he had on my first day. Sharon sat across the table in his fake wheelchair. They were playing against invisible opponents, two sets of cards hovering in the air. "'Well, well,' Mr. D said without looking up. "'Our little celebrity.' I waited. "'Come closer,' Mr. D said. "'And don't expect me to know... "'Katau, you mortal.' just because old Barnacle Beard is your far, the far- the father." A net of lightning flashed across the clouds. Thunder shook the windows of the house. "'Bleh, bleh, bleh,' Dionys- 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 Dionysus said. Chiron feigned interest in his pinocle cards. Grover cowered by the railing, his hooves clopping back and forth. "'If I had my way,' Dionysus said, "'I would cause your molecules to erupt in flames. We'd sweep up the ashes and be done with a whole lot of trouble. But Sharon seems to feel this one—this would be against my mission at this cursed camp, to keep you little brats safe from harm. Spontaneous combustion is a form of harm, Mr. D, Sharon put in. Nonsense, Dionysus said. Boy, would it wouldn't feel a thing. Nevertheless, I've agreed to restrain myself. I'm thinking of turning you into a dolphin instead, sending you back to your father, Mr. D. Sharon warned, "Oh, all right, Dionysus relented. There's one more option, but it's deadly foolishness. Dionysus rose, and the invisible player's cards dropped to the table. I'm off to Olympus for the emergency meeting. If the boy is still here when I get back, I'll turn him into an at- Atlantic bottlenose. Do you understand and Perseus jackson, if you're at all- if you are at all smart, you will see that's a much more sensible choice than what Sharon feels you must do. Dionysus picked up a playing card, twisted it, and it became a plastic rectangle. A credit card? No, a security pass. He snapped his fingers. The air seemed to fold and bend around him. He became a hologram, then a wind, and then he was gone, leaving only the smell of fresh pressed grapes lingering behind. Sharon smiled at me, but he looked tired and strained. Sit, Percy, please, and Grover. We did. Sharon laid his cards on the table, a winning hand he gone he hadn't gone he had gone to use. Tell me, Percy, he said. What did you make of the hellhound? Just hearing the name made me shudder. Sharon probably wanted me to say, hey, it was nothing. I eat hellhounds for breakfast, but I didn't feel like lying. It scared me, I said. If you hadn't shot it, I'd be dead. You'll meet worse, Percy, far worse, before you're done. Done with... What? Your quest, of course. Will you accept it?" I glanced at Grover, who was crossing his fingers. Um, sir, I said, you haven't told me what it is yet. Sharon grimaced. Well, that's the hard part. The details? Thunder rumbled across the valley. The storm clouds had now reached the edge of the beach. As far as I could see, the sky and the sea were boiling together. Poseidon and Zeus, I said. They're fighting over something valuable. Something that was stolen. Aren't they? Sharon and Grover exchanged looks. Sharon sat forward in his wheelchair. How did you know that? My face felt hot. I wish I hadn't opened my big mouth. The weather since Christmas has been weird. Like the sea and the sky are fighting. Then I talked to Annabeth and she overheard something about a theft. And I've also been having these dreams. I knew it, Grover said, hush satire, Sharon ordered, but it is his quest. Grover's eyes were bright with excitement. It must be. Only the oracle can determine. Chiron stroked his bristly beard. Nevertheless, Percy, you are correct. Your father and Zeus are having the the worst quarrel in centuries. They're fighting over something valuable that was stolen. To be precise, a lightning bolt. I laughed nervously. A what? Do not take this lightly, Chiron warned. I am not talking about some tinfoil-covered zigzag you'd see in a second-grade play. I am talking about a two-foot-long cylinder of high-grade celestial bronze, capped on both ends with god-level explosive, Explosives. Oh. Zeus's master bolt, Sharon said, getting worked up now. The symbol of his power, from which all other lightning bolts are pa- are patterned. The first weapon made by the Cyclops for the war against the Titans the bolt that sheared the top off of Mount Etna and hur- hurled Kronos from his throne? The master bolt, which packs enough power to make mortal hydrogen bombs look like firecrackers. And it's missing? Stolen, Shiron said. By who? By whom? Shiron corrected. Once a teacher, always a teacher. By you. My mouth fell open, at least. Shiron held up a hand. That's what that's what Zeus thinks. During the winter solstice, at the last council of the gods, Zeus and Poseidon had an argument, the usual nonsense. Mother Rhea always liked you best, air disasters are more spectacular than sea disasters, etc. Afterward, afterward Zeus realized his master bolt was missing, taken from the throne room under his very nose. He immediately blamed Poseidon. Now, a god cannot usurp another god's symbol of power directly that is forbidden by the most ancient of divine laws. But Zeus believes your father convinced a human hero to take it. But I didn't. Patience and listen, child, Sharon said. Zeus had good reason to be suspicious. The forges of the Cyclops are under the ocean, which gives Poseidon some, good, some influence over the makers of his brother's lightning. Zeus po- believes Poseidon has taken the Master bolt and is now secretly having the Cyclops build an arsenal of illegal copies which might be used to topple Zeus from his throne. The only thing Zeus wasn't sure about was which hero Poseidon used to seal the bolt. Now, Poseidon has openly claimed you as his son. You were in New York over the winter holidays. You could have easily have snuck into Olympus. Zeus believes he has found his thief. But I've never, ever, I've never even been to Olympus. Zeus is crazy. Charon and Grover glanced nervously at the sky. The clouds didn't seem to be parting around us. As Grover had promised, they were rolling straight over our valley, sealing us in like a coffin lid. Er, Percy? Grover said, we don't use the C word to describe the Lord of the Sky. Perhaps paranoid, Charon suggested. Then again, Poseidon has tried to unseat Zeus before. I believe that was question 38 on your final exam? He looked at me as if he actually expected me to remember question 38. How could anyone accuse me of stealing a god's weapon? I couldn't even steal a slice of pizza from Gabe's poker party without getting busted. Sharon was waiting for an answer. Something about a golden net, I guess? Poseidon and Hera and a few other gods, they, like, trapped Zeus and wouldn't let him out until he promised to be a better ruler, right? Correct. Sharon said, and Zeus has never trusted Poseidon since. Of course, Poseidon denies stealing the master bolt. He took great offense at the accus- accusation. The two have been arguing back and forth for months, threatening war, and now you've come along, the proverbial last straw. But I'm just a kid, Percy. Grover, cuts, Grover cut in. If you were Zeus and you already thought your brother was plotting to overthrow you, then your brother suddenly admitted the broken had suddenly admitted he had broken the sacred oath he took after World War II, that he's fathered a new immortal hero who might be used as a weapon against you. Wouldn't that put a twist in your toga? But I didn't do anything. Poseidon, my dad, he didn't really have this master bolt stolen, did he? Sharon sighed. Most thinking observers would agree that thievery is not Poseidon's style. But the sea god is too proud to try try convincing Zeus of that. Zeus has demanded that Poseidon return the bolt by the summer solstice. That's June 21st, 10 days from now. Poseidon wants an apology for being called a thief by the same date. I hope that diplomacy might prevail. That Hera or Demeter or Hestia would make the two brothers see sense but your arrival has inflamed Zeus's temper. Now, neither god will back down. Unless someone intervenes, unless the master bolt is found and returned to Zeus before the solstice, there will be war. And do you know what a full-fledged war would look like, Percy? Bad, I guessed. Imagine the world in chaos, nature at war with itself, Olympians forced to choose sides between Zeus and Poseidon, destruction, carnage, millions dead. Western civilization turned into a battleground so big it would make the Trojan War look like a water balloon fight. Bad. I repeat, I repeated, and you Percy Jackson would be the first to feel Zeus's wrath. It started to rain. Volleyball players stopped their games, stopped their game and stared in stunned silence at the sky. I had brought this storm to Half-Blood Hill. Zeus was punishing the whole camp because of me. I was furious. So I have to find the stupid bull, I said, and return it to Zeus. What better peace offering, Sharan said, than to have the son of Poseidon re- return Zeus's property. If Poseidon doesn't have it, where's the thing? I believe I know. Sharan's expression was grim. Part of a prophecy I had years ago. Well, some of the lines make sense to me now, but before I can say more, you must officially take up the quest. You must seek the counsel of the oracle. Why can't you tell me where the bolt is beforehand? Because if I did, you'd be afraid to accept the challenge. I swallowed. Good reason. You agree, then? I looked at Grover, who nodded encouragingly. Easy for him. I was the one Zeus wanted to kill. All right, I said. It's better than being turned into a dolphin. Then it's time you consulted the Oracle, Sharon said. Go upstairs, Percy, to the attic. When you come back down, assume you're still sane assuming you're still sane we will talk more four flights up the stairs ended under a green trapdoor i pulled the cord the door swung down and a wooden ladder clattered into place the warm air from above smelled like mildew and rotten wood from rotten wood and something else a smell i remembered from biology class reptiles the smell of snakes I held my breath and climbed. The attic was filled with Greek junk, Greek hero junk, armor stands cov- covered in cobwebs, once bright shields pitted with rust, old leather steamer trunks pl- plastered with stickers saying Ithaca, Cir- Circus Isle, and the land of the Amazon. One long table was stacked with glass jars fill- filled with pickled things. Severed hairy claws, huge yellow eyes, various other parts of monsters. A dusted mountain trophy on the wall looked like a giant snake's head, but with horns and a full set of shark's teeth. The plaque read, Hydra Head No. 1, Woodstock, New York, 1969. By the window, sitting on a wooden tripod stool, was the most gruesome memento of all, a mummy. Not the wrapped in cloth kind, but a human female body shriveled to a husk. She wore a tie-dyed sundress, lots of beaded necklaces, and a headband over long black hair. The skin of her face was thin and leathery over her skull, and her eyes were glassy white slits, as if the real eyes had been replaced by marbles. She'd been dead a long, long time. Looking at her her, sent chills up my back, and that was before she sat up on her stool and opened her mouth. A green mist poured from the mummy's mouth, coiling over the floor in thick thick tendrils, hissing like 20,000 snakes. I stumbled over myself trying to get to the trapdoor, but it slammed shut. Inside my head, I heard a voice, slithering into one ear and coiling around my brain. I am the spirit of Delphi, speaker of the prophecies of Phoebus Apollo, slayer of the mighty Python, approach seeker, and ask. I wanted to say, no thanks, wrong door, just looking for the bathroom. But I forced myself to take a deep breath. The mummy wasn't alive. She was some kind of gruesome reptile for something else. The power that was now swirling around me in the green mist, but its presence didn't feel evil, like my demonic math teacher Mrs. Dodds or the minotaur. It felt more like the three fates I'd seen knitting the yarn outside the highway fruit stand. Ancient, powerful, and definitely not human, but not particularly interested in killing me either. I got up the courage to ask, what is my destiny? The mist swirled more thickly, collecting right in front of me and around the table with the prickled monster part jars. Suddenly, there were four men sitting around the table, playing cards. Their faces became clearer. It was smelly Gabe and his buddies. My fists clenched, though I knew this poker party couldn't be real. It was an illusion, made out of mist. Gabe turned toward me and spoke in the rasping voice of the oracle, "'You shall go west and face the god who has turned.'" His buddy on the right looked up and said in the same, same voice, ''You shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned.'' The guy on the left threw in two poker chips then said, ''You shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend.'' Finally, Eddie, our building super, delivered the worst line of all and you shall fail to save what matters most in the end. The figures began to dissolve. At first, I was too stunned to say anything, but as the mist retreated, coiling into a huge green serpent and slithering back into the mouth of the mummy, I cried, Wait, what do you mean? What friend? What will I fail to save? The tail of the mist snake disappeared into the mummy's mouth. She reclined back against the wall, her mouth closed tight, as if it hadn't been opened in a hundred years. The attic was silent again, abandoned, nothing but a room full of mementos. I got the feeling that I could stand here until I had cobwebs too, and I wouldn't learn anything else. My audience with the oracle was over. Well, Sharon asked me. I slumped into a chair at the pinocle table. She said I would retrieve what was stolen. Grover sat forward, chewing excitedly on the remains of a Diet Coke can. That's great! What did the oracle say exactly? Sharon pressed. This is important. My ears were still tingling from the reptilian voice. She- she said i would go west and face a god who has turned i would retrieve what was stolen and see it safely returned i knew it grover said sharon didn't look satisfied anything else i didn't want to tell him what friend would betray me i didn't have that many and the last line i would fail to save save what mattered most what kind of oracle would send me on a quest and tell me oh by the way you fail how could i confess that no i said that's about it he studied my face Very well, Percy, but know this. The oracle's words often have double meanings. Don't dwell on them too much. The truth is not always clear until events come to pass. I got the feeling he knew I was holding back something bad, and he was trying to make me feel better. Okay, I said, anxious to change topics. So where do I go? Who's this god uh, in, in the West? Ah, think, Percy, Sharon said. If Zeus and Poseidon weaken each other in a war, who stands to gain? Somebody else who wants to take over, I I guess? Yes, quite. Someone who harbors a grudge. Who has been unhappy with his lot since the world has divided eons ago. Whose kingdom would grow powerful with the deaths of millions. Someone who hates his brothers for forcing him into an oath to have no more children. An oath that both of them have now broken. I thought about my dreams. The evil voice had spoken from under the ground. Hades. Chiron nodded. The Lord of the Dead is the only possibility. A scrap of aluminum dribbled out of Grover's mouth. Whoa, wait, wh- what? A fury came after Percy, Chiron reminded him. She watched the young man until she was sure of his identity, then tried to kill him. Furies obey only one Lord, Hades. Yes, but, but Hades hates all heroes, Grover protested especially if he has found out Percy's a son of Poseidon. A hellhound got into the forest, forest. Shon continued. Those can only be summoned from the fields of punishment, and it has to be summoned by someone within the camp. Hades must have a spy here. He must suspect Poseidon will try to use Percy to clear his name. Hades would very much like to kill this young half-blood before he can take on the quest. Great, I muttered. That's two major gods who want to kill me. But a quest to? Grover swallowed. I mean, couldn't the Master Bolt be in some place like Maine? Maine's very nice this time of year. Hades sent a minion to steal the Master Bolt, Chiron insisted. He hid it in the underworld, knowing full well that Zeus would blame Poseidon. I don't pretend to understand that the, the Lord of De- Dead's motives it perfectly, or why he chose this time to start a war. But one thing is certain. Percy must go to the underworld, find the Master Bolt, and reveal the truth. A strange fire burned in my stomach. The weirdest thing was, it wasn't fear, it was anticipation, the desire for revenge. Hades had tried to kill me three times so far, with the Fury, the Minotaur, and the Hellhound. It was his fault my mother had disappeared in a flash of light. Now he was trying to frame me and my dad for a theft we hadn't committed. I was ready to take him on. Besides, if my mother was in the underworld- Whoa boy, said the small part of my brain that was still sane, you're a kid. Hades is a god. Grover was trembling. He'd started eating pinocchio cards like potato chips. The poor guy needed to complete a quest with me so he could get his searcher's license, whatever that was. But how could I ask him to do this quest, especially when the oracle said I was destined to fail? This was suicide. Look, if we know it's Hades, I told Sharon, why can't we just tell the other gods? Zeus or Poseidon could go down to the underworld and bust some heads. Suspecting and knowing are not the same. Chiron said. Besides, even if the other gods suspect Hades, and I imagine Poseidon does, they couldn't retrieve the bolt themselves. Gods cannot cross each other's territories except by invitation. That is another ancient rule. Heroes on the other hand have certain privileges. They can go anywhere, challenge anyone, as long as they're bold enough and and strong enough to do it. No god can be held responsible for a hero's actions. Why do you think the gods always operate through humans? You're saying I'm being used. I'm saying it's no accident Poseidon has claimed you now. It's a very risky gamble, but he's in a desperate situation. He needs you. My dad needs me. Emotions rolled around inside me like bits of glass in a kaleidoscope. I don't—I didn't know whether to feel resentful or grateful or happy or angry. Poseidon had ignored me for 12 years. Now suddenly he needed me. I looked at Sharon. You've known I was Poseidon's son all along, haven't you? I had my suspicions, as I said. i spoken to the Oracle, too. I got the feeling there was a lot he wasn't telling me about his prophecy, uh, but I decided I couldn't worry about that right now. After all, I was holding back information, too. So let me get this straight, I said. I'm supposed to go to the Underworld and confront the Lord of the Dead. Check, Sharon said. Find the most powerful weapon in the universe. Check. And get it back to Olympus before the summer solstice. In ten days. That's about right. I looked at Grover, who gulped down the ace of hearts. Did I mention that Maine is a very nice this time of year? He asked weakly. You don't have to go, I told him. I can't ask that of you. Oh, he shifted his hooves. No, it's just that satires and underground places, well... He took a deep breath and stood, brushing the shredded cards and aluminum bits off his t-shirt. You saved my life, Percy. If, If you're serious about wanting me along, I won't let you down. I felt so relieved I wanted to cry, though I didn't think that would be very heroic. Grover was the only friend I've ever had for longer than a few months. I wasn't sure what good a satire could do knowing that he would be with me. All the way, G-Man, I turned to Chiron. So where do we go? The Oracle just said to go west. The entrance to the Underworld is always in the west. It moves from age to age, just like Olympus. Right now, of course, it's in America. Where? Chiron looked surprised. I thought that would be obvious enough. The entrance to the Underworld is in Los Angeles. Oh, I said. Naturally, so we just get on a plane. No, Grover shrieked. Percy, what are you thinking? Have you ever been on a plane in your life? I shook my head, feeling embarrassed. My mother had never taken me anywhere by plane. She always said we didn't have the money. Besides, her parents had died in a plane crash. Percy, think, Sharon said. If you are the son of the Sea God, your father's bitterest rival is Zeus. Lord of the Sky, your mother knew better than to trust you in an airplane. You'd be in Zeus's domain. You would never come down again alive. Overhead, lightning crackled, thunder boomed. Okay, I said, determined not to look at the storm. So I'll travel travel overland. That's right, Sharon said. Two companions make accompany accompany you. Grover is one. The other has already volunteered, if you will accept her help. Gee, I said, feigning surprise. Who else would be stupid enough to volunteer for a quest like this? The air shimmered behind Sharon. Annabeth became visible, stuffing her Yankees cap into her back pocket. I've been waiting a long time for a quest, seaweed brain, she said. Athena is no fan of Poseidon, but if you're gonna save the world, I'm the best person to keep you from messing up. If you do say so yourself, I said. I suppose you have a plan, wise girl. Her cheeks colored. Do you want my help or not? The truth was, I did. I needed all the help I could get. A trio, I said. That'll work. Excellent, Sharon said. This afternoon, we can take you as far as the bus terminal in Manhattan. After that, you are on your own. Lightning flashed, rain poured down on the meadows that were never supposed to have violent weather. No time to waste, Sharon said. I think you should all get packing. And that is the end of chapter 9. And after these ads, we will move on to chapter 10, which is I Ruin a Perfectly Good Bus. Hello everyone and welcome back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 10, I Ruin a Perfectly Good Bus. It didn't take me long to pack. I decided to leave the minotaur horn in my cabin, which left me only an extra change of clothes and a toothbrush to stuff in the backpack Grover had found for me. The camp store loaned me $100 in mortal money and 20 girl golden drachmas. These coins were as big as Girl Scout cookies and had images of various Greek gods stamped on one side and the Empire State Building on the other. The ancient mortal drachmas had been silver, Sharon told us, but Olympias never used less than pure gold. Sharon said the coins might come in handy for non-mortal transactions, whatever that meant. He gave Annabeth and me each a canteen of nectar and a Ziploc bag full of ambrosia squares to be only to be used only in emergencies. If we were seriously hurt, it was God food. Sharon reminded us. It would cure us of almost any injury, but it was lethal to immortals. Too much of it would make a half-blood very, very feverish. An overdose would burn us up. Literally. Annabeth was bringing her magic Yankees cap, which she, had, which she told me had been a 12th birthday present from her mom. She carried a book on a fa- famous classical architecture, written in ancient Greek, to read when she got bored and a long bronze knife hidden in her shirt sleeve. I was sure the knife would get us busted the first time we went through a metal detector. Grover wore his fake feet and his pants to pass as a human. He wore a green rasta style cap because when it rained, his curly hair flattened, and you can see ju- you could just see the tips of his horns. His bright orange backpack was full of scrap metal and apples to snack on. In his pocket was a set of red reed, reed pipes his dad, daddy go had carved for him, even though he only knew two songs, Mozart's Piano Concert No. 12, and Hilary Duff's So Yesterday, both of which sounded pretty bad on reed pipes. We waved goodbye to the other campers, took one last look at the strawberry fields, the ocean, and the big house, then hiked up Half-Blood Hill to the tall pine tree that used to be Thalia, daughter of Zeus. Sharon was waiting for us in his wheelchair next to him stood the surfer dude i'd seen when i was recovering in the sick room according to grover the guy was the camp's head of security he supposedly had eyes all over his body so he could be so so he could be never he he could never be surprised today though he was wearing a chauffeur's uniform i so i could only see extra peepers on his hands face and neck this is argus sharon told me he will drive you into the city and er well keep an eye on things I heard footsteps behind us. Luke came running up the hill, carrying a pair of basketball shoes. Hey, he panted. Glad I caught you. Annabeth blushed, the way she always did when Luke was around. Just wanted to say good luck, Luke told me, and I thought, um, maybe you could use these. He handed me the sneakers, which looked pretty normal. They even smelled kind of normal. Luke said, Maya. White bird's wings sprouted out of the heels, startling me so much, I dropped them. The shoes flopped flapped around on the ground until the wings folded up and disappeared. "'Awesome,' Grover said. Luke smiled. "'Those served me well when I was on my quest. Gift from Dad, of course. I don't use them much, much these days.' His expression turned sad. "'I didn't know what to say. It was cool enough that Luke might had come to say goodbye. I'd been afraid he might resent me for getting so much attention the last few days.' But here he was giving me a magic gift. It made me blush almost as much as Annabeth. Hey, man, I said, thanks. Listen, Percy. Look, Luke looked uncomfortable. A lot of hopes are riding on you, so just kill some monsters for me, okay? We shook hands. Luke patted Grover's head between his horns, then gave a goodbye hug to Annabeth, who looked like she might pass out. After Luke was gone, I told her, "You're hyperventilating." Am not. You let him capture the flag instead of you, didn't you? Oh, why do I want to go anywhere with you, Percy? She stomped down the other side of the hill, where a white SUV waited on the shoulder of the road. Argus followed, jingling his car keys. I picked up the flying shoes and had had a sudden bad feeling. I looked at Sharon. I won't be able to use these, will I? He shook his head. Luke meant well, Percy, but taking to the air? That would not be wise for you. I nodded, disappointed, but then I got an idea. Hey, Grover, you want a magic item? His eyes lit up. Me? Pretty soon, we laced the sneakers over his fake feet, and the world's worst first flying goat boy was ready for launch. Maya! he shouted. We got off the ground okay, but then fell over, over sideways, so his backpack dragged through the grass. The winged shoes kept bucking up and down like tiny broncos. Practice, Sharon called after him. You just need practice. Ah! Grover went flying sideways down the hill like a possessed lawnmower, heading toward the van. Before I could follow, Sharon caught my arm. I should have trained you better, Percy," he said. "If only had more time. Hercules, Jason—they all got more training. That's okay. I just wish—I stopped myself because about to—I was about to sound like a brat. I was wishing my dad had given me a cool magic item to help on the quest. Something as good as Luke's flying shoes or Annabeth's invisible cap. What am I thinking? Sharon cried. I can't let you get away with without this. He pulled a pen from his coat pocket and handed it to me. It was an ordinary disposable ballpoint black paint, black ink removable cap. Probably cost thirty cents. Gee, I said. Thanks, Percy. That's a gift from your father. I've kept it for years, not knowing who you not knowing you were who I was waiting for. But the prophecy is clear to me now. You are the one. I remember the field trip to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. When I vaporized Mrs. Dodds, Sharon had thrown me a pen that turned into a sword. Could this be? I took off the pick cap, and the pen grew longer and heavier in my hand. In half a second, I held a shimmering bronze sword with a double-edged blade, a leather-wrapped grip, and a flat hilt riveted with gold studs. It was the first weapon that actually felt balanced in my hand. The sword has a long and tragic history that we must we need not go into, Shiron told me. Its name is an- anaclusmos. Riptide, I translated. Surprised the ancient Greeks some- came so easily. Use it only for emergencies, Shiran said, and only against monsters. No hero should harm mortals unless absolutely necessary, of course. But this sword wouldn't harm them in any case. I looked at the wickedly sharp blade. What do you mean it wouldn't harm mortals? How could it not? The sword is celestial bronze, forged by the cyclops, tempered in the heart of Mount Etna, cooled in the river Leth. It is deadly to monsters, to any creature from the underworld, provided they don't kill you first. But the blade will pass through mortals like an illusion. They simply are not important enough for the blade to kill. And I should warn you, as a demigod, you can be killed by either celestial or normal weapons. You are twice as vulnerable. Good to know. Now recap the pen. I touched the pen cap to the sword tip and instantly Riptide shrank to a ballpoint pen again. I tucked in my pocket, a little nervous, because I was famous for losing pens at school. You can't, Shran said. Can't what? Lose the pen, he said. It's enchanted. It will always reappear in your pocket. Try it. I was wary, but I threw the pen as far as I could down the hill and watched it disappear in the grass. "'It may take a few moments,' Shron told me. "'Now check your pocket.' Sure enough, the pen was there. "'Okay, that's extremely cool,' I admitted. "'But what if a mortal sees me pulling out a sword?' Shron smiled. "'Mist is a powerful thing.' "'Percy.' "'Mist?' "'Yes,' read the Iliad. "'It's full of references to the stuff. "'Whenever divine or monstrous elements mix with the mortal world,' They generate mist, which obscures the vision of humans. You will see things just as they are, being a Half-Blood, but humans will interpret things quite differently, remarkable, Remarkable, really, the lengths to which humans will go to fit things into their version of reality. I put Riptap back in my pocket. For the first time, the quest felt real. I was actually leaving Half-Blood Hill. I was heading west with no adult supervision, no backup plan, not even a cell phone. Shran said cell phones were not retraceable by monsters. If we use one, it would be worse than sending up a flare. I had no weapon stronger than a sword to fight off monsters and reach the land of the dead. Shran, I said, when you say the gods are immortal, I mean, there was a time before them, right? Four ages before them, actually. The time of the Titans was the fourth age, sometimes called the Golden Age, which is definitely a misnomer. This... The time of western civilization and the rule of Zeus is the fifth age. So what was it like before the gods? Sharon pursed his lips. Even I am not old enough to remember that child, but I know it was a time of darkness and savagery for mortals. Kronos, the lord of the titans, called his reign the golden age because men lived innocent and free of all knowledge. But that was mere propaganda. The Titan King cared nothing for your kind, except as appetizers or a source of cheap entertainment. It was only in the early reign of Lord Zeus, when Prometheus, the good titan, brought fire to mankind, that your species began to progress, and even then Prometheus was branded a radical thinker. Zeus punished him severely, as you may recall. Of course, eventually the gods warmed to humans, and Western civilization was born. But the gods can't die now right i mean as long as western civilization is alive they're alive so even if i fail nothing could happen so bad it would mess up everything right sharon gave me a melancholy smile no one knows how long the age of the west will last percy the gods are immortal yes but then so were the titans they still exist locked away in their various prisons forced to endure endless pain and punishment Reduced in power, but still very much alive. May the fates forbid that the gods should ever suffer such a doom, or that we should ever return to the darkness and chaos of the past. All we can do, child, is follow our destiny. Our destiny, assuming we know what that is. Relax, Sharon told me. Keep a clear head, and remember, you may be about to prevent the biggest war in human history. Relax, I said. I'm very relaxed. When I got to the bottom of the hill, I looked back. Under the pine tree that used to be Thalia, daughter of Zeus, Sharon was now standing in full horseman form, holding his bow high in salute. Just your typical summer camp sent off by your typical centaur. Argus drove us out of the countryside and into the western Long Island. It felt weird to be on a highway again, Annabeth and Grover sitting next to me as if we were normal carpoolers. After two weeks at Half-Blood Hill, the real world seemed like a fantasy. I found myself staring at every McDonald's, every kid in the back of his parents' car, every billboard and shopping mall. So far, so good, I told Annabeth. Ten miles and not a single monster. She gave me an irritated look. It's bad luck to talk that way, seaweed brain. Remind me again? Why do you hate me so much? I don't hate you. Could've fooled me. She folded her cap of invisibility. Look, we're just not supposed to get along, okay? Our parents are rivals. Why? She sighed. How many reasons do you want? One time, my mom caught Poseidon with his girlfriend in Athena's temple, which is hugely disrespectful. Another time, Athena and Poseidon competed to be the patron god for the city of Athens. Your dad created some stupid saltwater spring for his gift. My mom created the olive tree. The people saw that her gift was better, so they named the city after her. They must really like olives. Oh, forget it. Now, if she'd invented pizza, that I could understand. I said forget it. In the front seat, Argus smiled. He didn't say anything, but one blue eye on the back of his neck winked at me. Traffic slowed us down in Queens. By the time we got into Manhattan, it was sunset and starting to rain. Argus dropped us at the Greyhound station at the Upper East Side, not far from my mom and Gade's apartment. Taped to a mailbox was a soggy flyer with my picture on it. Have you seen this boy? I ripped it down before Annabeth and Grover could notice. Argus unloaded our bags, made sure we got our bus tickets, then drove away, the eye on the back of his hand opening to watch us as he pulled out of the parking lot. I thought about how close I was to my old apartment. On a normal day, my mom would be home from the candy store by now. Smelly Gabe was probably up there playing poker, not even missing her. Grover shouldered his backpack. He gazed down the street in the direction I was looking. You want to know why she married him, Percy? I stared at him. Were you reading my mind or something? Just your emotions, he shrugged. Guess I forgot to tell you satires can do that. You're thinking about your mom and stepdad, right? I nodded, wondering what else Grover might have forgotten to tell me. Your mom married Gabe for you, Grover told me. You call him smelly, but you've got no idea. The guy has his aura. Yuck, I can smell him from here. I can smell traces of him on you, and you haven't been near him for a week. Thanks, I said. Where's the nearest shower? You should be grateful, Percy. Your stepfather smells so repulsively, repulsively human, he could mask the presence of any demigod. As soon as I took a whiff inside his camera, I knew, Gabe has been covering your scent for years. If you hadn't lived with him every summer, you probably would have found would have been found by monsters a long time ago. Your mom stayed with him to protect you. She was a smart lady. She must have loved you a lot to put up with that guy, if that makes you feel any better. It didn't, but I forced myself not to show it. I'll see her again, I thought. She isn't gone. I wondered if Grover still could still read my emotions, mixed up as they were. I was glad he and Annabeth were with me, but I felt guilty that I hadn't been straight with them. I hadn't told them about the real reason I said yes to this crazy quest. The truth was, I didn't care about retrieving Zeus's lightning bolt or saving the world or even helping my father out of trouble. The more I thought about it, I resented Poseidon for never visiting me, never helping my mom, never even sending a lousy child support check. He only claimed me because he needed a job done. All I cared about was my mom. Hades had taken her unfairly, and Hades was going to give her back. "'You will be betrayed by one who calls you a friend,' the oracle whispered in my mind. "'You will fail to save what matters most in the end.' "'Shut up,' I told it." The rain kept coming down. We got restless waiting for the bus and decided to play some hacky sack with one of Grover's apples. Annabeth was unbelievable. She could bounce the apple off her knee, her elbow, her shoulder, whatever. I wasn't too bad myself. The game ended when I tossed the apple toward Grover and it got close to his mouth. In one mega-go bike, our hacky sack disappeared. core stem and all. Grover blushed. He tried to apologize, but Annabeth and I were too busy cracking up. Finally, the bus came. As we stood in line to board, Grover started looking around, sniffing the air like he smelled his favorite school cafeteria delicacy, enchiladas. "'What is it?' I asked. "'I don't know,' he said tensely. "'Maybe it's nothing.' But I could tell it wasn't nothing. I started looking over my shoulder, too. I was relieved when we finally got on board and found seats together in the back of the bus.' We stowed our backpacks. Annabeth kept slapping her Yankee's cap nervously against her thigh. As the last patch of passengers got on, Annabeth clamped her hand onto my knee. Percy, an old lady had just boarded the bus. She wore a crumpled velvet dress, lace gloves and a shapeless orange knit hat that shadowed her face. And she got a bit paisley purse. When she tilted her head up, her black eyes glittered and my eyes skipped a beat. It was Mrs. Dodds, older, more withered, but definitely the same evil va- face. I scrunched down in my seat. Behind her came two more ladies, one in a green hat, one in a purple hat. Otherwise, they looked exactly like Mrs. Dodds. Same gnarled hands, paisley handbags, wrinkled velvet dresses, triplet demon, demon god grandmothers. They sat in the front row, right behind the driver. The two on the aisle crossed their legs over the walkway, making an X. It was casual enough, but it sent a clear message. Nobody leaves. The bus pulled out of the station, and we headed through the slick streets of Manhattan. She didn't stay dead long, I said, trying to keep my voice from quivering. I thought you said they could be dispelled for a lifetime. I said if you're lucky, Annabeth said. You're obviously not. All three of them? Clover whimpered. Demortalis. mortalis. "'It's okay,' Annabeth said, obviously thinking hard. "'The Furies, the three worst monsters from the Underworld. "'No problem. No problem. We'll just slip out the windows.' "'They don't open,' Grover mo- moaned. "'A back exit?' she suggested. "'There wasn't one. Even if there had been, it wouldn't have helped. "'By that time, we were on Ninth Avenue, heading for the Lincoln Tunnel. "'They won't attack us with witnesses around,' I said. "'Will they?' Mortals don't have good eyes, Annabit reminded me. Their brains can only process what they see through the mist. They'll see three old ladies killing us, won't they? She thought about it. Hard to say, but we can't count on mortals for help. Maybe an emergency exit in the roof? We hit the Lincoln Tunnel, and the bus went dark except for the running lights down the aisle. It was eerily quiet without the sound of the rain. Mrs. Dodds got up. In a flat voice, as if she rehearsed it, She announced to the whole bus, I need to use the restroom. So do I, said the second sister. So do I, said the third sister. They all started coming down the aisle. I've got it, Annabeth said. Percy, take my hat. What? You're the one they want. Turn invisible and go up the aisle. Let them pass you. Maybe you can go get to the front and get away. But you guys, there's an outside chance they might not notice us. Annabeth said, you're a son of the one of the big three. Your smell might be overpowering. I can't just leave you. Don't worry about us, Grover said. Go. My hands trembled. I felt like a coward, but I took the Yankees cap and put it on. When I looked down, my body wasn't there anymore. I started creeping up the aisle. I managed to get up 10 rows, then duck into an empty seat just as the Furies walked past. Mrs. Dodds stopped, sniffing, and looked straight at me my heart was pounding apparently she didn't see anything she and her she and her sisters kept going I was free I made it to the front of the bus we were almost almost through the Lincoln tunnel now I was about to press the emergency stop button when I heard hideous wailing from the back row the old ladies were not old ladies anymore their faces were still the same I guess those couldn't get any uglier but their bodies had shriveled into leathery brown hag bodies with bat's wings and ha- hands and feet like gargoyle claws. Their handbags had turned into fiery whips. The fury surrounded Grover and Annabeth, lashing their whips, hissing. Where is it? Where? The other people on the bus were screaming, cowering in their seats. They saw something, all right. He's not here, Annabeth yelled. He's gone. The Furies raised their whips. Annabeth drew her bronze knife. Grover grabbed a tin can from his snack bag and prepared to throw it. What I did next was was so impulsive and dangerous, I should have been named ADHD Poster Child of the Year. The bus driver was distracted, trying to see what was going on in his rear view mirror. Still invisible, I grabbed the wheel from him and jerked it to the left. Everybody howled as they were thrown to the right. And I hear, and I heard what I was hoping, what I hoped was the sound of the three furies smashing against the windows. Hey, the driver, driver yelled. Hey, whoa! We wrestled for the wheel. The bus slammed against the side of the tunnel, grinding metal, throwing sparks a mile behind us. We we careened out of the Lincoln Tunnel and back into the rainstorm. People and monsters tossed around the bus. Cars plowed aside like bowling pins. Somehow, the driver found an exit. We shot off the highway, through half a dozen traffic lights, and ended up barreling down one of those New Jersey rural roads where you can't believe there's so much nothing right across the river from New York. There were woods to our left, the Hudson River to our right, and the driver seemed to be veering toward the river. Another great idea. I hit the emergency brake. The bus wailed, spun a full circle on the wet asphalt, and crashed into the trees. The emergency lights came on. The door flew open. The bus driver was the first one out. The passengers yelling as they stampeded after him. I stepped into the driver's seat and let them pass. The furies regained their balance. They lashed their whips at Annabeth while she waved her knife and yelled in ancient Greek, telling them to back off. Grover threw tin cans. I looked at the open doorway. I was free to go, but I couldn't leave my friend's. I took off the invisible cap. Hey! The furies turned, baring their yellow fangs at me, and the exit suddenly seemed like an excellent idea. Mrs. Dodd stalked up the aisle, just as she used to do in class, about to deliver my F math test. Every time she flicked, flicked her whip, red flames danced along the barbed leather. Her two ugly sisters hopped on top of the seats on either side of her and crawled toward me like huge, nasty lizards. Percy Jackson, Mrs. Dodd said in an accent that was definitely from somewhere farther south than Georgia. You have offended the gods. You shall die. I liked you better as a math teacher, I told her. She growled. Annabeth and Grover moved up behind the Furies cautiously, looking for an opening. I took the ballpoint pen out of my pocket and uncapped it, Riptide elongated into a shimmering, double-edged sword. The Furies hesitated. Mrs. Dodds had felt Riptide's blade before. She obviously didn't like seeing it again. Submit now, she hissed, and you will not suffer eternal torment. Nice try, I told her. Percy, look out, Annabeth cried. Mrs. Dodds lashed her whip around my sword hand while the Furies on the either side lunged at me. My hand felt like it was wrapped in molten lead, but I managed to not drop Riptide. I stuck the Fury on, it, on the left with its hilt, sending her, toppling backward, into a seat. I turned and sliced the Fury on the right. As soon as the blade connected with her neck, she screamed and exploded into dust. Annabeth got Mrs. Dodds on, in a wrestler's hold and yanked her backward while Grover ripped the, where it ripped the whip out of her hands. Ow! He yelled. Ow! Hot! Hot! The fury-eyed hilt slammed, came at me again. Talons ready, but I swung riptide, and she broke open like a pinata. Mrs. Dodds was trying to get Annabeth off her back, off her back. She kicked, clawed, hissed, and bit, but Annabeth held on while Grover got Mrs. Dodds' leg tied up in her own whip. Finally, the both shoved her backward into the aisle. Mrs. Dodge tried to get up, but she kept she didn't have room to flap her bat wings, so she kept falling down. Zeus will destroy you, she promised. Hades will have your soul. Bracas mis Vesmini, I yelled. I wasn't sure where the Latin came from. I think it meant eat my pants. Thunder shook the bus. The hair rose on the back of my neck. Get out! Annabeth yelled at me. Now! I didn't need any encouragement. We rushed outside and found the other passengers wandering around in a daze, arguing with the driver running around in circles, yelling, We're going to die! The Hawaiian shirted tourist with a camera snapped my photograph before I could recap my sword. Our bags! Grover realized, we left our Boo! The windows of the bus exploded as the passengers ran for cover. Lightning shredded a huge crater in the roof, but an angry wail from inside told me Mrs. Dodds was not yet dead. Run, Annabeth said. She's calling for reinforcements. We have to get out of here. We plunged into the woods as the rain poured down, the bus in flames behind us, and nothing but darkness ahead. And that was the end of chapter 10. Boy, was that a chapter. The way Percy fought off the Furies... And then how... I can't imagine how the people in that bus felt. Just seeing a bat-winged monster fighting off this boy. And then the the tourist that took a picture of Percy. Oh my goodness, he must have been like, Oh, I found the boy! Probably because he's seen the posters around. So yeah, that was a really interesting chapters. Those both were interesting chapters. And I really hope you come back next week for chapters 11 through 12 and chapters ele- chapter 11 will be we visit the garden garden gnome emporium so until then have a safe week